Well, good morning and welcome. This is the beginning of the leadership training called Kingdom Management Part 3. Uh, we'll be discussing leadership over the next six lessons and what leadership is from a Christian worldview. Of course, everything that I try to do is based on the timeless universal principles found in Scripture. Um, a Christian worldview is firmly grounded on the Word of God. There's no other way to be grounded. Uh, we're not pragmatists. We are people of the book, that is, the Scripture. So let me just start by introducing some thoughts to you. Um, one thought is Genesis 3.15, which is called the Protevangelum. You probably have heard uh, the verse. You may not have heard the term Protevangelum. That means the first proclamation of the good news. Another concept to think about is called the Great Commission. You probably think of that in terms of a different verse than the one I have up here. I have Genesis 1.26 up here, which is an um, expression of why God made mankind. And we're here to serve as his ruling agents on earth to represent him. And that was the first commission given to mankind after creation. So may I suggest that has to be the Great Commission, even though we're not used to thinking of it in those terms. The next thing is Jesus made a promise in Matthew 16 that he didn't fulfill in this life. So we presume, uh, based on, on what scripture seems to imply, that he will fulfill that after he's gone through his disciples. And this is building his ecclesia. Now, we use the word church. I'm going to generally use the word ecclesia instead of the word church, because ecclesia is the transliteration of the Greek word, Ecclesia that is translated church in English. Uh, the word church in English, though, has got a lot of baggage with it. Uh, when you say church, you don't know if you're talking about a building or a meeting or people. So there's confusion about it, where Ecclesia is very clear. Uh, the word Ecclesia meant people. It didn't mean a meeting. It didn't mean a building. It meant people. People called together specifically to make ruling decisions for the community. That's great imagery for why humans are on earth. We're here to be God's ruling agents. And so God, Jesus used that specific Greek word, which is not a religious term, to describe what he would build. And he is building that apparently uh, after he's gone through his disciples. And then finally, the event I want you to look at is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the popular way of, call, of labeling this verse is the Great Commission, but it, it really, the way it's interpreted and understood is very distorting. Uh, it is a mandate for discipleship. That's what it is. It's not a mandate for world evangelism, as is commonly thought. It should not be the mandate driving everything, because you have these other issues. You know, you have the Protevangelium, the Great Commission of Genesis 1, Jesus building his church, and then the discipleship mandate. So how do these connect? So as leaders, one of the things you have to be able to do is connect the dots. You need to see the big picture. You need to recognize what God is doing, big picture, long term. If you don't see that, you don't know where you're going. And fundamentally, the idea of leadership is leading people to a destination, You've got to know what that destination is. And you need to be clear that the only way to lead well is from a Christian worldview.
Any leader that's not governed by the word of God and not guiding you aligned with a Christian worldview is not a good leader. They may know something about some tidbits of leadership. You know, there, there are little techniques and strategies that you want to use in leadership that they might know, but they won't be fundamentally at the highest level, at the most seminal level, they won't be good leaders. You could only be a good leader if you're aligned with Christ. So let me just give you a graphic here, and I want to walk you through the graphic and help you understand what I think, what it means to be a leader who sees the big picture, which means a good leader. So if you look at the left of the graphic, you see uh, creation, and underneath it, I have NRK whole theos, which means in the beginning God. Any questions? Now, the profundity of that is unbelievable. Uh, we, we don't get that. Even professing Christians don't get it. Certainly non-believers don't get it. But you cannot escape that reality. Everything begins with God. There's nothing that exists that doesn't begin with him. So hopefully you immediately have heartburn because you and all of us are exposed to people that claim to be secular. We claim that education is secular. We claim that, that public policy should be secular. We claim that business should be secular. Economics is secular. We hear, you hear people talking about but the United States, for example, is not a Christian company. It's a, meaning it's a secular country. So you see all these, these references to secular. You have to recognize every time you hear the word secular being applied in some way like that, it's saying this is separated from God. Well, that's a lie. That is not true. There's nothing separated from God. So that's a starting point. If you're going to be a good leader, you've got to be really clear. Jesus is Lord of everything. Any questions? No exceptions. He's Lord of everything. And if he's Lord, he makes the choices. So that immediately should tell you this idea of rights that's become such a big thing in the world, it's a ruse. We humans don't have rights. We have responsibilities before our creator to serve his purpose. So the second element of creation is the cultural mandate, okay, the creation mandate. Remember, I, I showed you the four things on the prior slide, okay, those, one of those things was the creation mandate. I've underlined those four things, so they show up on this slide. So everything underlined on this slide relates back to the first slide. So the creation mandate is God's mandate to mankind to serve as his ruling agents. That was given in the creation account in Genesis 1. So that's the foundation of reality for us, for all humans, is we have come from God to serve his purpose, and we have a mandate, and we are blessed to multiply and to exercise dominion over his creation. Now, dominion does not mean to use our power for our agenda. Dominion means to use our power and authority and responsibility to serve the purpose of God. That's what it means. So we've got to be real clear on that. So that's the first two video, the, not the little images I've got up here on this graphic represent the creation. That's Genesis 1 and 2. 
Now, you might notice if you look all the way to the end, you have recreation. And that's the last two chapters of Scripture, Revelation 21, 22. So the first two chapters of Scripture are creation. The last two chapters are recreation. Something happened in between. Well, Genesis 3, the third chapter from the beginning, is the fall of man. And that's where sin and death entered into the physical universe, including into humanity. And God had a choice at that point. He could have gone ahead and executed full judgment upon mankind at that point. He told him in Genesis 2, if you eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, you will die. There are three aspects to death that scripture reveals. One is spiritual death, two is physical death, and three is eternal death. Now, God could have exercised all of those right then and there in Genesis 3, and that would have been the end of everything. You and I would never have existed. That would end time. But he chose not to do that. He chose instead to forbear, to defer judgment, full judgment to later. So you can see in the box that's second from the end. I don't know if you can see my marker. Let's see if I can get a, yeah, I can do that, I think. Uh, Laser pair. All right, so you can see this whole thing. You can see this is final judgment here. And you can see we're here. This is the third chapter from the end of the Bible. This is the third chapter from the beginning of the Bible. So the symmetry is kind of interesting. So God has deferred full judgment, final judgment to here. But in the meantime, there is partial judgment. There is spiritual death now. That's immediately what happened to Adam and Eve. And so we, their descendants, were born with their fallen condition, and we are born spiritually dead. Now, we aren't physically, we're born physically alive. But we will die physically. Adam and Eve ultimately died physically, but their physical death was deferred so they could bear children and we could exist. And God gives us a promise in all this called the Protevangelum. Remember, that's on the first slide. And that's the promise to execute a meta narrative of redemption. It'll be the war between two seeds the battle of the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. And all of us are part of that war. We have a role to play in that war. And so we have now, starting with Genesis 4, going to Revelation 19, we have the meta narrative of redemption. During this time, God's grace continues, that is his favor to enable us to live. You might ask, well, how can a fallen human being live in the universe? Because we're fundamentally in rebellion against God. Well, there's this thing called common grace. Common grace is the ability given to all mankind, everyone who's ever lived or ever will live at different levels. We have common grace to be able to survive. And the way we survive as fallen people in a fallen universe in rebellion against God is very simple. We can obey some of God's principles, not enough to earn our merit standing with God, but enough to survive. For example, a pagan, someone who doesn't know the Lord, can can tell the truth sometimes. A pagan can do some productive work sometimes. A pagan can 
choose to be kind to people sometimes. So you can see we have common grace to do things that are biblical values and principles, but only so far. At the end of Hosea, it indicates that even with when we have common grace in a fallen condition, there's a limit. It will ultimately break down. Common grace does not extend all the way. It's only partial grace. And it's not enough grace to bring us into right standing with God. That requires special grace. And that's that's the work of Christ. The work of the Old Testament, the revelation of the Old Testament is revealed to us that we need the special grace of Christ because left to ourselves in our fallen condition, we can never meet God's righteous standards, his holy standards. He demands perfect perfection. We can never be perfect and perfectly righteous before him. So that's what the Old Testament largely reveals. 70% of the Bible is trying to make that point that you cannot, you cannot find standing with God without being born again. Meaning our spirit man has to be regenerated by the power of God and now brought alive. And now we have relationship with God and we can grow in our ability to walk with God. And that's what we do throughout life as Christians. So this is the meta-narrative redemption. This is where we are in time. We're moving toward the final judgment of Revelation 20. Everyone will be resurrected. There's a universal resurrection. And we will all stand before judgment. There's a universal judgment. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be given a pass from eternal judgment, eternal death. So when you come to Christ, you come to know Christ, You have your name is put in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's probably already there, but you can know it's there. So that's the way, that's the end of the meta narrative, and that's then opens the door for the recreation. Now, I want another way to angle this, I want to show you real quickly, is down here at this bar. Uh, you see, creation and, and, and the creation account, including the creation mandate, this is what theologians call the normal state, the creative state, the original order without sin. And in that state, the rule of Christ is uncontested. He is Lord over his universe, period. That never stops. But at the fall of man, we now contest the rule of Christ. So we have during this fallen state that we live in right now, it's the contested rule of Christ that is reality. Christ is Lord. There's no change in that, but we as servants don't acknowledge it well. And ultimately, at the final judgment, all sin and death will be done away with. The rebellion will be stopped and the normal state will restore, be restored and Jesus will be Lord and there'll be no contest. Uncontested rule of Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So that's the bigger picture of what we're going. Now, along the way, I want to point a couple of other things to you that, that are important. In the Old Testament, you have the Old Testament Ecclesia. Remember, that's the word translated church. That's a Greek, that's a transliteration of the Greek word ecclesia. The Old Testament ecclesia were the people of God in the Old Testament. The purpose of the people of God in the Old Testament was to reveal that they could never earn standing with God. They could never be good enough. They could never do enough good works. They would always fail. 
And that's Paul explains this beautifully in Galatians 3. If you want an explanation, that's a great place to go to get it. Then Christ comes, God incarnate. He gives us a new mandate in addition to the creation mandate. Creation mandate still in effect. He gives us a new mandate, and this mandate includes divine empowerment. To enter into right relationship with the Father, you have to be regenerated, and then you join a process of sanctification, and eventually it will be perfected when you are glorified. That is, you are taken from this existence through glorification. The salvation process is completed, and you will be fit for his presence. Because your fitness will come from Christ. Your righteousness will come from Christ. He is our Savior. The discipleship mandate is about us, while we are brought into this process of being made a disciple, are to mature to the point where we reproduce ourselves in others. If you'll notice what, what Peter said in Matthew 28 to the 11 remaining disciples, this is who had become his apostles. They weren't the only disciples, but they were the the primary disciples and they were the apostles to be. He told them to reproduce themselves. You go and make disciples. That is, you're a disciple, go reproduce yourself and others. That's what we're to do. And once we are growing in our ability to be disciples, we're supposed to be obedient to the creation mandate. And we will be part of the New Testament ecclesia which is now empowered people. The Old Testament ecclesia was the people of God left to their own own strength, their own potency, and they could never be good enough to be the people of God. The New Testament people of God are good enough because God is in them. He's dwelling in them. He, he regenerated, and now he indwells them and empowers them and enables them to be able to be the people of God. So hopefully you recognize the things I mentioned in the prior slide, the creation mandate, the protevangelium, discipleship mandate, the New Testament ecclesia, these all fit into this big panorama of the big picture of history. Now, in the when we get down to the, the fifth session of this teaching, I'm actually going to go in more depth on the meta-narrative and how we fit into that. And leaders have to understand this. If you don't understand how the meta-narrative works, and how you fit in, and why you're, you are who you are, and why you are living when you live, and why you're giving what you're being given, then you will, you'll never contextualize life well. And your responsibility is to live life before Christ. Be obedient to his will, his ways, his timing, and do things in it for his glory. So you need to understand your role in meta narrative. Big challenge. Now, one other thing you need to recognize, we are in this abnormal state right now, will be until the judgment. So you need to understand something about the state. Now, I gave you a link to a video where I I gave you eight traits of this contrasting the abnormal to the normal. You can see on this slide right here, here are the eight traits. I start with the state. The attitude, grace, source of wisdom, empowerment, metric, motive, and success. These are all different perspectives. So this is the abnormal state. This is the city of man, which is the condition we come into this existence as, as members of kingdom of darkness. We're, we're basically subject to the spirit of Antichrist. When you are regenerated, you're born again, and now you're transferred into the kingdom of light, and you become a servant of Christ. 
your master changes. You went from being under the Antichrist to under Christ. And likewise, that these some of these traits are really kick in. You move from the state of death to the state of life. You move from a state of pride to a state of humility, from common grace to common grace plus special grace, from worldly wisdom to divine wisdom, from human potency that is not divinely empowered to potency that is divinely empowered. You, you no longer are the measure. Homo mensura means man the measure. You move from you being a measuring stick, stick not, in other words, you being a humanist, to being God's is the measuring stick. You move from wanting to do things because you want them to wanting to do things because God wants them. And finally, you define success not in terms of tangible things like money, but in terms of temporal, uh, but, uh, both temporal and eternal things, particularly eternal things like, like wisdom like reputation, like discipleship, like righteousness. Those are things that are transcendent, that have value both now and eternity. That's real the, the real metric of success. Who has those traits? And you'll never have those traits if you live in the, in the kingdom of darkness. So that's the distinction there. Hopefully, uh, I get it, did that real quickly. You want more details? Go back and watch that video for more details. Now, one final thing before we go into our discussion time, I want to remind you about the discipleship mandate, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. I had a lengthy video, about a 20 minute video, it's not lengthy, but that's, I gave that to you to watch. I assume you watched it. If you didn't, go back and watch it. And I just want to give you some takeaways from that video, some observations, seven of them. Number one, the discipleship mandate is not a mandate for world evangelism. That's commonly how it's thought of, and that drives most missions efforts today. But if you read it, it says nothing about evangelism. It says it's talking about disciples, making disciples. Also, if you'll notice here, something that's a little subtle thing that you need to recognize. And when Jesus talks about all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that's another one of those any question uh, statements. That ought to be on our refrigerator. All He's got all authority. We live in delegated authority. He is the source of all authority. He says, go and make disciples. Now, you need to understand that that is the passive voice for go. If it was the active voice, it would mean you, the subject, are to go. But it isn't. It's passive. Passive means that the going is something that's done to you. I hopefully you recognize that means, oh, I must be sent. Yes, that's the way it works. Wherever God sends you, okay, some translations will be, will say, if they're trying to be true to the text, they'll say, well, as you're going. But I think the way to really see this is realize that what passive means, passive means is that the subject is the recipient of the action of the verb. So there's someone else that's driving the going of us. And that's the Holy Spirit leading us. So this is why this isn't, the way it's commonly used and understood today is really a distortion. It's not, it's not the correct understanding. We have to get clear that we are called by God and sent to make disciples, followers of Jesus. So the discipleship mandate is not a mandate for world evangelism. Secondly, the discipleship mandate is about discipleship. Disciples reproducing themselves. 
When you start out, first become a disciple of Christ. The only thing you can do is like a baby. You need to be under the care of parents. You need to be under your spiritual parents and let them guide you and direct you. And like a baby grows up, eventually you will grow up and mature under the care of your spiritual parents. And then you'll be able to begin to disciple others. That's great imagery to understand how that process works. The next one is we baptize those who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And the work of regeneration is the sovereign work of God. Baptism is what we do to acknowledge we recognize the sovereign work of God in someone else. And the, the way we do it today is we do it on a profession of faith. The early church did it not on a profession of faith, but on evidence of tra- a transformed life. Now, which, which do you think is better? We baptize because somebody claims to be a Christian or because they begin to live like a Christian. Well, the early church chose the latter, not the former. I think they were much more sound in their thinking. Fourthly, disciples are to be trained to obey Jesus' commands holistically. Uh, I asked my class the other day, talking about this, how many commands of Christ are there? They said two. And, of course, they're talking about the greatest commandment and the second. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. I said, that's not all the commands of Christ. And we start talking about the various commands of Christ. In fact, I've been researching this for some time. I've not found anyone that's authoritatively been able to give a complete, robust list of the commands of Christ because the commands of Christ are throughout the word of God. There's hundreds, if not thousands of them. And our obligation is to be students of the word and go and find those commands and learn to live according to those commands. Jesus has something to say about everything. This is why all knowledge begins with Christ. Whatever you think you know, if you didn't begin with Christ, you've got to go back and and kick over the bookshelves, as Dennis says, and, and get the correct understanding of whatever you're looking at based on the truth of Christ. The next thing is the discipleship mandate is multi-generational and multi-ethnic. This is the way God works. He's chosen to work that way. Six, the quality of trained disciples is more important than the quantity of converts. Converts are those that, that, that seem to indicate or even maybe display some traits of being born again. But they're young in the faith. And the test of any convert is do they continue in the faith? Do they persevere in the faith? Do they grow in the faith? That's the real test. So the quality is what God is after. The quantity is what we typically are after, which is why we we compromise the quality and go for quantity. That's a very common metric of most Christian communities today. And finally, discipleship. Disciples reproduce themselves. This is the seminal function of leadership. You have got to learn to do this. If you don't learn to do this well, you will never lead well. I don't care how intelligent you are, how many degrees you have, how big the company is you might be part of or you might have built. It doesn't matter. You have got to contextualize all of life from a Christian worldview. You have to lead based on a Christian worldview, which means you have to lead by discipling others. That's the only thing you have a authority to do, make disciples who obey the creation mandate. That's what we do. That's what leaders do. Now, finally, and I gave you another video clip to about Beyond Babel Model. I'm trusting you looked at that. 
And I encourage you, if you didn't go back and watch that, it's, this is a model to help you live in this abnormal state that we're in, seeking to move into more alignment with God. It's a tool of alignment to move you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So it's built around the, the major questions that are called the seven questions and a few other questions that go with those questions. The model addresses those and guides you on how to answer those questions from a Christian worldview. So I encourage you to take a look at that. And finally, uh, we have a pre-seminar exercise. I will encourage you to, to do that. I wish we had time to do it today, but we don't. But I encourage you to do it. And um, all you do is look at your actions. Nope. Don't, it's not what you think, it's how you live. Rate your agreement with the statements. And there's 10 statements. If you are totally agree with the statement, you're a 10. If you totally disagree, you're a zero. It's an analog scale. You can use any number in between to rate your level of agreement. So if you're 50-50 on something, that's a five. If you're mostly in favor of something, that's uh, it's gonna be above five. If you're mostly saying no to it, you're below five. So rate yourselves at your leisure and uh, talk to me. I'd love to hear your comments and thoughts and interact with you on this. So may the Lord give you grace to learn to think big picture, long-term, multi-generationally, multi-ethnically, think about what God has put you here to do. And it's fundamentally to produce disciples who obey the creation of mandate in the context of the meta narrative. Now you're beginning to think like a true leader, a Christian leader. May you have grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.